This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hi, friend. I hope you've been enjoying my podcast. I hope to provide you all with as much value as I can so that you can start on your journey towards better health. With the recent legalization of recreational marijuana in many states here in the U.S., I thought it would be interesting to do an episode on this. I wanted to know more about how marijuana relates to the problem of obesity that we are facing these days. I know this is a fairly controversial topic, and that is why I wanted to know what science has to say about this. To help us understand this better, I decided to bring in an expert in cannabinoid medicine. Dr. Rashna Patel is a world-recognized expert in this field. She completed her undergraduate studies at Northwestern University in Illinois and earned her medical degree at Toro University in California. She ventured into cannabis medicine in 2012. In 2014, she started her own practice. She has published a book in partnership with Penguin Random House and has grown a YouTube channel to over 1 million views. She has been interviewed on over 300 podcasts and she serves as a go-to media correspondent and has taken stage internationally, educating both medical and non-medical audiences about cannabinoids. And we are so fortunate to have her with us today. Welcome, Rachna. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. You know, interestingly, I was listening to your episode on another podcast, and it was basically about your journey and what an amazing journey you've had, you know, with the, with the brand that you've grown when you started your journey with cannabinoid medicine. Well, as we all know, marijuana is a very commonly used recreational drug globally, and it has been around for a very, very long time. The main psychoactive substance in marijuana is delta-9-tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC. So, Rachna, what is the endocannabinoid system, and what is its role in the human body? Sure. So, just like a lot of other systems in the body, homeostatic regulatory systems, it's yet another homeostatic regulatory system that is fairly recently discovered, which is why a lot of us medical professionals especially have not had a chance to really thoroughly dive into it, you know, during our medical studies. So yeah, it has a lot of important roles, especially even on appetite. Yeah. And, you know, that's very interesting because it does have a very profound impact on the appetite, right? And that's why a lot of times we use drugs that are analogs for basically the receptors of this system to help us increasing the appetite. So just let's just talk about what impact it has on our appetite centers. Yeah. So it affects appetite in a couple different ways here. So first and foremost, when THC interacts with cannabinoid receptors, okay, so cannabinoid receptors are part of the endocannabinoid system. And for those who don't know, THC is a chemical compound that comes from the cannabis family of plants, okay? It's more prevalent in marijuana than it is in hemp, and marijuana and hemp are part of that cannabis family of plants. So when THC interacts with cannabinoid receptors, specifically CB1, it causes an increase in ghrelin. And as you may know, ghrelin is a hormone that drives you to eat. So that's one of the ways, okay? It makes food taste and smell better, okay? Because it stimulates the olfactory bulb, okay? So 
a pizza really tastes like a normal pizza, there'll be more sensations of flavor and smell that will cause you to eat more. The other way that it impacts appetite is that it activates a subset of neurons called the propiomelanocortinin neurons, which are in the hypothalamus, and it causes them to release a chemical, beta endorphins, which stimulate appetite and cravings. So numerous different ways in which specifically THC helps to stimulate appetite. Yeah, I I guess that's what causes the munchies, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And have there been any studies on, on the munchies itself? So here's the thing. In the context of medical research, cannabinoids, okay, now specifically synthetic cannabinoids, okay? So we're going back to talking about drugs such as Marinol, for instance, which you may have heard of, right? It's a FDA-approved drug. And interestingly enough, the first FDA-approved drugs were specifically approved for stimulation of appetite, specifically in cancer patients undergoing chemo. Okay, so this is one of the first uses that's been approved by the FDA. Now, not necessarily with cannabinoids derived from the plant itself, but we're talking about synthetic cannabinoids. So it has been studied extensively. There have been multiple, as you can imagine, clinical phase three trials that have been done. There have been a lot of clinical outcomes that have been observed in the medical practice by both physicians, as well as patients as well, who've reported back on the clinical outcomes that they've experienced, specifically on appetite stimulation. Yeah, and that's very right, because we use that routinely in our in our practice as well, commonly called Marinol or Dronabinol, that is the synthetic analog, which it does help with increasing the appetite. So can you, we, we talked about cancer, are there any other conditions where medical marijuana or or the synthetic form of these analogs are used to increase the appetite? So, I mean, basically any condition in which appetite is suppressed, right? So I've had patients who've had inflammatory or irritable bowel conditions where their appetite is impacted. That's the main one that I can think of other than cancer. But basically any disease state, any medical condition that um, suppresses appetite for whatever reason, it's of great utility. Now, interestingly enough, you mentioned Marinol. I mentioned Marinol. And I've had patients mention Marinol as well. Okay. And most of the reports that I've gotten back uh, from the patients that I've treated is that they tend to experience quite a few side effects. However, when they use the plant derived form, they experience more of the benefits and less of the side effects of the cannabinoids. So that's an interesting, consistent observation that I see time and time again, especially when it comes to appetite stimulation, but also depression of nausea and vomiting as well. Yeah. And I was going to ask you that, uh, you know, is there a difference between using the plant-derived marijuana-derived THC versus using uh, Marinol? But you're talking about these side effects and what exactly are these side effects that people experience? Yeah. So they experience side effects such as anxiety, palpitations, dizziness. And these are common side effects of THC. When it's plant-based, when consumed at toxic levels, these are very common side effects. Now, what's going on with the synthetic is that it's just the synthetic. It doesn't have any of the other cannabinoids. And research shows that CBD, okay, when CBD is in the plant, it helps to mitigate some of the side effects of THC. So it creates more of a buffer, right? In, In terms of you have more room, more buffer room, in terms of taking these cannabinoids and it doesn't narrow the gap to like getting to a toxic dose really quickly and experiencing side effects. And, you know, when we're talking about dosing, uh, when it comes to THC, you know, I'm using it effectively for these conditions. I've had patients use as little as like 0.5 milligrams 
of THC, plant-based THC. So you can imagine with synthetics, you know, a lot of these patients are being prescribed typically like 2.5 to 5 milligrams of THC. And when you have just pure THC, the psychoactive effects start to kick in at around 5 to 10 milligrams, right? So that gives you an idea of how you can start with very little and experience the benefits, not the side effects. And then, you know, for instance, with Marinol, I don't know why the starting dose is, is 2.5, but even with a lower dose, um, again, patients do tend to experience side effects um, as opposed to the, the medical benefits. So that's just what I've seen, but scientifically it makes sense because you have other cannabinoids that are mitigating the side effects of THC. So, you know, Rajna, it's very interesting that marijuana increases or THC increases the appetite, right? And one would think that because it increases the appetite, it would probably cause an adverse effect on obesity, if anything. And I was researching this because I wanted to record this episode and I was actually surprised. So do you want to elaborate on that, on how cannabis impacts obesity? Yeah, so it actually doesn't cause obesity. And this is really interesting because there's been three different studies and these are fairly extensive studies that have been done. So let me walk you through them, okay? So study number one, they followed 3,617 participants ages 18 to 30 for 15 years, okay? And they compared them to participants who had no history of marijuana use. And these participants did have a history of marijuana use. Okay, so they compared both. And the participants that used marijuana for more than 1,800 days for over the 15-year period. And the study found that the marijuana users consumed about 600 more calories per day than the non-users, but there was no increase in their BMI. Now, another study looked at obesity amongst 50,736 marijuana users and non-users. And basically in this particular case, a user was anybody who used marijuana at least three times per week over the previous 12 months. A non-user was anyone who reported no cannabis use in the previous 12 months. So in one group, the obesity rate was 22%, and this was in the non-users, and 14.3% in the users. And in another group, the obesity rate was 25.3% in the non-users, but only 17.2% in the users. So the rate of obesity is actually less in the users than the non-users. Yeah, this is so weird. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, there was another study that they interviewed and examined 10,623 adults ages 20 to 59, again, marijuana users, non-marijuana users, and the results were similar to the previous two studies. The marijuana users had a greater caloric intake than the non-users, but their BMI was lower than the non-users. So yes, there's a perception out there that marijuana causes weight gain by way of causing the munchies, but the results of this study, you know, these studies definitely challenge that notion. And what may be going on, what's being postulated is that marijuana plays a regulatory role. Um, and so in those, um, uh, it increases weight in those that are of low weight, but in those of normal weight or, or who are overweight, it's not the case. That's very interesting. I mean, I'm hoping that more studies come out and, uh, you know, look at the impact of how uh, marijuana can be used, if it can be used in the treatment and management of obesity. I mean, there have been some drugs that have been, you know, yes. created and we'll talk about that. But do we know if it has an impact on insulin resistance and diabetes also or not? Because insulin plays a very big role, you know, in the pathophysiology of, of obesity. Yeah. So, you know, as far as we know, it doesn't really have an impact on the production of insulin 
or the reaction of cells to insulin as far as we know, because I've had patients come in asking, you know, Hey, can I treat my diabetes with marijuana? You know, amongst a slew of other conditions that they want to treat with marijuana. And, you know, research shows that no, not so much the case. So it does have, have an impact on ghrelin, but not so much that we found insulin. Yeah, and that's interesting. We just talked about the fact that it has been of interest even in obesity and in the management of obesity. Let's talk about this drug, Ramonaband, uh, which was there and it was taken out of the market. Do you know how it was created and why it was discontinued? Yeah, so basically Ramonaband is an antagonist. It's a cannabinoid antagonist. And so basically the thinking behind this was, well, if THC stimulates appetite, let's create a drug that's the opposite of THC, that instead of stimulating the receptors, it actually blocks the receptors. And so, you know, thereby suppressing appetite. But here's what happened. They put it out on the market. People started to have severe depression and suicidal thoughts. And so they had to take it off the market. So it was failed endeavor when it came to creating that drug. And basically what it shows is that the cannabinoid system plays a very important role in mood, in our daily mood functioning. So that's the story behind that. As it stands, there's really not much in the way of, you know, utilizing cannabinoids to lose weight. I've had patients ask me about that as well. (laughs) Yeah, but it's very interesting because, you know, Here we are talking about these studies showing that actually using marijuana or in marijuana users, the BMI was lower. And then here we have another drug that was actually negating the effect of the THC on the receptors. And that was primarily because of the thought process that it's going to suppress the appetite and then it's going to reduce the weight. And then it was obviously taken off because of the other side effects that it had. But do you know of any studies that are ongoing or do you know of um, any interest in this at all of using the cannabinoid system, uh, utilizing it? for the treatment of management of obesity? Not that I've come across recently. I know that Ramona Bant was the last endeavor, but thereafter I haven't heard of anything. You know, there's certainly marketers out there touting that they've, you know, created the new, the new strain that will, you know, help with weight loss, but that's only marketing. It's not actual research. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us about your practice. You know, this is something that's interesting to me also, because, uh, you know, medical marijuana is, is a relatively new field cannabinoid medicine. So tell me about, you know, what you do and what patients do you normally usually encounter? Is it just primarily pain or is it something else? And what it what it is? So the most common conditions that I've treated now, so bear in mind that I um, uh, practice in California. And so I had a lot of freedom as a physician to practice in that anybody who was considering marijuana was able to walk into my office. And I, as a physician, had the freedom to recommend um, at marijuana to whoever I deemed it appropriate, right? For, you know, whatever medical condition they were experiencing. So having said that, um, the main conditions that I ended up treating were anxiety, chronic pain, and insomnia, which are fairly broad, right? Like who in America doesn't have any one of those three conditions. And so those are the most common, but in, but in addition to that, I mean, I've also treated, for instance, patients with autism to help treat their underlying anxiety, which it's also helped to, you know, with their communication, it's helped with their behavioral uh, problems as well. I've helped patients who are undergoing chemo and are experiencing nausea or vomiting or, you know, have appetite suppression, you know, for whatever reason. So wide variety of conditions that I've treated. And, you know, Rachna, when we talk about marijuana, we're primarily, you know, considering THC, but you had a book on CBD oils. And that's all the rage nowadays. So what's the deal with that? 
So here's what's important to know. Like I mentioned before, you have the cannabis family of plants, right? And within this family, you have two cousins, so to speak. You have marijuana and you have hemp. And they both make CBD and they both make THC. Now, what varies is the concentrations of each that they make, okay? Now, I talk about CBD and THC because they're the most prevalent chemicals that you're going to find in this family of plants. There are other ones as well, but they're not as prevalent. So by law, any product that's made from hemp has to have less than 0.3% THC, and therefore by default, any product that's made from marijuana has more than 0.3% THC. So relatively speaking, you know, marijuana products tend to be either higher in THC or have, you know, approximately similar amounts of THC and CBD. And then hemp-based products have higher amounts of CBD and then much lower amounts of THC. So what I found in my practice is that different combinations helped different conditions. Okay. That's why I talk about both THC and CBD. Now in this particular book, I talk about CBD. And clinically what I found is that about 80% of conditions of the ones that I mentioned are well-treated with higher amounts of CBD than THC. Now, typically when people are looking to use cannabinoids for medical reasons, they're not looking to get high off of it, right? So then by default, hemp-based products are a better option because the amount of CBD, of THC, sorry, is just so low that there's a, a negligible effect of the THC and a negligible possibility of getting high off of hemp-based products. So that's the importance of the different cannabinoids and how they interact with the system and then ultimately the impact they have for the patient. That's very interesting. And and do you see the same effects with a higher concentration of CBD compared to THC with regards to appetite or um, basically the munchies? Yeah, so that's typically caused by THC as opposed to CBD. Also, when it comes to alleviating nausea and vomiting, same thing. That's typically a higher amount of THC. I haven't really seen much of an impact on appetite when it comes to CBD. CBD neither stimulates appetite nor does it suppress it. Research says that patients may experience changes in weight and appetite with the use of CBD, but in having seen patients year over year over year, I haven't found that to be the case. So research says otherwise, but clinically I haven't found that to be the case with CBD. And I'm just curious, you know, THC causes this increase in appetite, but you had mentioned something about the, the dosage of the THC that a person has to have to get these effects. So when you titrate the doses, particularly I'm talking about appetite increasing, is there a point, is there a fine point where they're not actually experiencing the high of the THC, but getting the effects of increased appetite? Because people may not necessarily want the high of the THC. Yeah. So that's basically hitting therapeutic dose, right? So Depending on the patient's history, I start them at a baseline and then have them increase in certain increments. And it's essentially a titration process, right? So you get them to the point where they're experiencing, you know, optimally the benefits, but not the side effects. And should they be experiencing any side effects, then I have them, you know, lower the dose slightly. So it's just a matter of hitting that right dose. And that varies highly from person to person. You know, a lot of it also has to do with their previous use of cannabinoids as well, because you can develop a tolerance. And in that case, we do work towards reducing tolerance because I don't want any of my patients to have tolerance because that's getting to a point where you're getting in the medical world, what we know as receptor down regulation, right? And so you don't want that. So yeah, it's, it's just walking them through a process of, you know, how to use the products. Some products are more measurable than others. Like for instance, edibles, you know, chocolates, for instance, tinctures, 
which are used sublingually, but inhalation, not so much, right? The only measurable unit there is the potency of whatever it is that you're utilizing, whether it's oil or actual, you know, plant material itself. Interesting. Interesting. So when you're titrating it up, is it kind of safe to say that you people start experiencing the appetite, increase in appetite before they start experiencing the high as far as the dosage goes? Yes, that's what I found. Yeah. So when you're within that therapeutic range, that's when they're experiencing, you know, the appetite stimulation, the reduction of nausea, vomiting. And then once they get into, so that's the therapeutic range. Once they get into the, the toxic dosing range, that's when they start to, you know, say that, oh, you know, I'm starting to experience anxiety. I'm starting to experience palpitations. And if you're really overdoing it, that's when you get to the realm of experiencing auditory and visual hallucinations, but you really need to have consumed a severely toxic dose to get to that point. Yeah, well, this is such an interesting conversation that we've had. Do you have any parting thoughts, Rachna? No, we covered quite a bit on a you know narrow focus topic on you know appetite, and we dove deep into you know in terms of how things work. But there, of course, there's always more that I can talk <laughs> about. But no, I think we covered a lot within you know this narrow topic. That's great. So, how can people find you? So people can follow me on my YouTube channel. I'm always answering questions there. Um, so you can just Google the CB expert plus Dr. Patel and my channel will show up on the first page of Google at the very top. So just click on that, subscribe. And I'm always on there answering questions. And then same thing on Instagram. My handle is at Dr. Dr. Underscore Rachna, R-A-C-H-N-A underscore Patel, P-A-T-E-L. And I'm always answering questions on there as well. Yeah, I'm going to leave all these links on my show notes as well. So, you know, people can find you if they need to find you. Well, this has been such an interesting episode and such an interesting discussion that we've had, but that's all we have time for today. Friends, don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. And uh, thank you so much, Rachna, for coming on and, you know, sharing your views and your expertise with us on cannabis. And thank you everyone for tuning in and I'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.